Hi, everybody. This is Tony Kahn, the producer and director of Morning Stories from WGBH in Boston. A long time ago, when I was uh, 16, I met a remarkable woman. Her name was Beate Gordon. She had been born in the States, but had grown up in Japan, and she was the head of something called the Asia Society that helped people from both East and West understand each other better. But what was really impressive about her to me at age 16 was that she was a terrific listener. She had just met me, but she sat me down, and she wanted to hear what I had to say about world affairs and life in general. She had a great gift for listening. I didn't exactly reward it. I went on for the next hour talking about basically myself. But she did teach me that to listen to somebody with respect is a great power. Well, flash forward about 35 years, I'm hosting a show called The World for PRI, and Beati gives me a phone call. Turns out that she'd written a book about her life. She was on a publicity tour. Would I like to interview her? I figured it was high time to return the favor and listen to her, so I had her come over. She sat down, and she told me an amazing story and taught me my next big lesson. A single individual who knows how to listen as well as Beati can also make world history. So here's the story she told me. Today's morning story, Beati's Gift. When the war broke out, she'd been in the States finishing her schooling. As one of only 60 Caucasians in the country who spoke Japanese, she was assigned to translate Japanese broadcasts for the War Department. It wasn't until the American occupation that she'd come back as an American political officer to help her second home to its feet. With almost her first step, Beate Gordon walked right into history. It was just a fluke. I was at the right place at the right time. I was 22 years old. I had lived in Japan from the age of 5 to 15. Otherwise, I really had no qualifications. Well, one day, General Whitney came into our office at 10 o'clock in the morning. He said, you are now a constituent assembly, and by order of General MacArthur, you will write the new Japanese constitution and it must be written in one week. Good heavens. What thoughts went through your mind? We didn't have time to think about (laughs) anything except how to get this done. Colonel Cadiz, who was his deputy, immediately divided us into groups, and uh, he told the three of us, two men and one woman, that we should write the civil rights chapter. We sat down, and the two men looked at me, and they said, well, you're a woman, so why don't you write the women's rights? I thought, my God, what am I going to do? I'm not a lawyer. What do I know about constitutions? I'd read the U.S. Constitution in in history class, but that was about it. So I got a Jeep and a Japanese driver, and I said, take me to any libraries that are still standing in Tokyo. Tokyo was devastated at that time. So I would borrow constitutions from whatever countries I could I could get. I wanted illegitimate children to have equal rights in inheritance, property rights, rights to get help from the government when a woman is pregnant. I incorporated all of those in my draft. I really wanted to make it as broad as possible because I had no faith in the people who would interpret the Constitution. I thought they will never, never interpret the Constitution in a liberal way.
A secret meeting to present the draft of the Constitution to the Japanese began at 10 a.m. By 2 a.m. the following morning, after a fierce debate on the post-war status of the emperor, they all finally got to the provisions on women's rights. Despite their exhaustion, the Japanese were as upset about giving women rights as they were about withdrawing the emperor's power. Beate had been there from the start, working incognito as an interpreter, feeling her heart sink as the objections rose from the floor. That's when something very interesting happened. To my great surprise, Colonel Cadiz, who was the head of the steering committee, had seen that the Japanese side was very favorably inclined towards me because I wasn't there as a drafter of the Constitution. They didn't know that. I was there as an interpreter. And during that whole period from 10 till 2 a.m., I had helped both sides. So Colonel Cady's having this in mind said, quote, my name at that time was Sirota. Miss Sirota has her heart set on the women's rights. Why don't we pass them? I think the Japanese were just simply stunned. First of all, by knowing that I had something to do with it. And secondly, that Colonel Cadiz would say such a thing in such a serious discussion. And they just passed it. They just passed the rights. Recently, she shared a platform with a distinguished female Japanese attorney. I said, Miss Doi, I feel embarrassed to be talking on the same platform with you because you are a constitutional lawyer and I was an amateur. And she said, that's what was so good about it. As an amateur, you wrote a draft from the heart. If history is like a pyramid, with a powerful few at the top and the huddled masses far below, then rare individuals like Beati, it seems to me, with a clear mind, good timing, and a committed heart, serve a very special role, opening every once in a while like windows to let some light shine in. That was today's morning story from Beati Gordon, Beati's gift. I'm here with uh, Gary Mott. These were not popular additions to the Constitution, I don't imagine. People are still fighting for those rights for Japanese women today. They're in the Constitution, but doesn't necessarily mean they're in every living room. History isn't made just by the generals and politicians. It's made by the educated amateurs and the people with vision and a passion. The citizen journalists, the bloggers, the podcasters. All right. I'm at the grocery store. And I'm standing in line, and there's Reader's Digest. And what? One of my favorite podcasts is a podcast called Croncast, done by a most unusual <laughs> couple, Chris and Betsy Smith. And uh, they're a couple working their way up toward the middle class, just on the outskirts of Chicago. And the raw material, and sometimes it's raw, but it's always funny, is their lives. Well, but, you're going to be but, 31 soon, so I know. things are going to start happening. You're going to come home and say, guess what I read in Reader's Digest today? <laughs> <laughs> Well, that's a conversation starter. It's time to check your bladder control. So I, I got in touch with them on the phone the other day, and we talked a little bit, and they kind of let me know how things are going with them in podcasting. It's like you're sitting around a kitchen table having a conversation with friends. I think there's a lot of people like us that feel sort of like, um, you know, they could have more friends, but maybe they don't want to put the effort out there. You know? <laughs> it, it's an adult play date. What kind of mail do you get? We had an episode where Elliot for some reason, got up in the middle of the night. Elliot's our five-year-old, opened the cabinet under the sink and just peed into it in his sleep. 
Isn't that's that where we sweet? keep the garbage. You knew that he intended to put it in the right place. I'm sure. <laughs> yes, right. But we got tons of mail. You know, my son does the same thing. In fact, he peed on his brother's head. Yeah. So nine out of ten times. So it's a more horrible situation than our situation. I think for some people it's a release. I think it's things that they probably never discussed. You know, you know you're but, sort of like serving the role of a social safety valve. Yeah. <laughs> I really feel a connection to our listeners. Um, I think that they feel a connection to us. Chris wanted to invite them to our house. Yeah. Tony, I know that that's never occurred to you. You've never thought, hey, you know, I'm going to go ahead and just release my name and address and see who shows up. And much like the, the relationship between a therapist and a patient, I think there needs to be a line there. <laughs> you don't go to their parties, they don't come to yours. <laughs> Podcasting has been the best thing to happen to me. I mean, now when we talk to people in certain places, you know, they'll say, you know, if you're ever in town, stop by. My wife and I are you know, doing this. We get a lot of people who are saying, you know, I'm gonna, we're, we're getting ready to have a kid. They share that stuff that, you know, maybe they don't share with their family. And I mean, I meet tons of dysfunctional people through the show. Your yeah. people. My people. We have a, a, a bare bones outline now, which we used to never do. I can read you the board of what's going on right now. This All is right. from the last show. Take us behind the scenes. Okay. <laughs> you can, okay, so, you say it and I'll... Okay, I'll, it says number one plan. That was my saying that George Bush and the new administration should step up and create a plan for evacuees from the last hurricane, much like the WPA, start developing right. communities and businesses, and they could redeem themselves in my eyes. Right. Number two is uh, out of control <laughs> first birthday parties. Right. This is a, a suburban phenomenon. You know, you feel like you have to throw, like, spend $3,000 and oh, yes. hire a band. <laughs> the only happy thought I think the child had all day was, look, somebody set a cake in front of me and walked away. I'm going to eat it before they notice. <laughs> <laughs> is your marriage doing as well as your podcast? Are they one and the same? Oh, boy. Well, initially, mm. I think it was hard on the marriage. It became Chris's obsession. Yeah. But that's the way that we function as a couple. Chris gets an idea. If it was Chris's way, he'd have a built-out space in a warehouse somewhere with a recording studio, and we'd be $400,000 in debt. (laughs) (laughs) And it's my job to to rein him in, you know, and so that has come true with podcasting like it does with a lot of things. We were talking about a way that we could be more marketable. You know, my mother's like, oh, you know, you could, you could have Huggies, you know. (laughs) Huggies could support you, you know, some parenting thing, you know, but... um, but it is difficult because, you know, I don't know what we're going to talk about next Tuesday. Uh, we don't really have a central focus other than, you know, what's, what happens, who walks through our front yard, that sort of thing. Well, you know, our formula is our life. And how do you market that? This is, this is us. Gary, you listen to, to Croncast too, don't you? I wish the dialogue in my own home was <laughs> as witty <laughs> and the repartee as, as cutting as that was. They do kind of model a healthy relationship, don't they? You know, it's, it, you never know what you're going to learn from things like this. But, but certainly having the example of, of people who kind of mix it up and yet still love each other and can talk about it and laugh about it, I think is very healthy. Anybody writing to us about the urinary tract of their children? Not yet. You know, our, our email <laughs> is uh, of a different flavor. Uh, <laughs> we heard from Robert from Missouri. I have been subscribed to your podcast for several weeks now and look forward to every update. The material you present is interesting, insightful. Thank you both. And yeah, your sponsor oh. for taking the time effort and resources in making these available that's ipswich software. a leader in file transfer software and that email we love it morning stories at wgbh.org with or without email be sure to check in next friday for another episode of morning stories we'll see you then